Well, welcome, everybody. My name uh, is, is Thomas. For those uh, that have not uh, met me, uh, I'm the, the lead pastor here at Ambassador, and uh, we are in the process of, of getting ready uh, for our launch on September 17th, uh, which is uh, inside of a month uh, away. Uh, and so there's, uh, there's much to, to accomplish, and uh, we're working in our ministry teams uh, after this kind of abbreviated worship service uh, to get all of that uh, together. And uh, today what I wanted to do, just kind of a, a little bit different, is, is to do our, our little uh, devotional and then spend uh, some time in prayer together in groups, uh, praying for uh, uh, everything that the Lord's going to be doing uh, and already has been doing here at Ambassador uh, and I'll explain what that looks like, and we have kind of a prayer list uh, for you, but uh, good morning. Uh, we've been going through uh, our uh, Psalms 1 and 2 to kind of corresponding with our, our reading plan as we've been talking about uh, our, our four core values uh, here at uh, Ambassador. Uh, of uh, Number one, we want to, uh, to worship the Lord uh, in spirit and in truth. Uh, and we also want to, uh, to be based in his word, of everything that we do uh, as a ministry, uh, as individuals, to be based upon the word of God. Uh, and then we also, uh, today what we'll be looking at uh, in Titus uh, is uh, our, our walk and our witness uh, of how we walk uh, with the Lord uh, in community with one another and as individuals. Uh, and then how do we witness to the world around us? And those are, are in, intimately connected and inseparable. Uh, and oftentimes when you're, when you're speaking with people, uh, what do they usually list as the number one reason they don't want to go to church? Talk to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go to church. It's full of, full of hypocrites. Uh, they, they see hypocrisy. Uh, they see uh, something that doesn't align with reality. Uh, they, they see people proclaiming one thing but actually uh, living out something different. Uh, and your reputation, uh, your reputation always precedes you, and it's really difficult to uh, to rebuild a reputation, right? Uh, how many of you are familiar with what happened uh, several years ago at uh, Penn State University in the football program, right? Uh, there was a uh, a, a scandal uh, that had been covered up by by the football program in the abuse of children, uh, and. Uh, there were there were major sanctions, and now oftentimes when people will think of Penn State, what's the first thing that they think of? They think of that that immorality, that that abuse that took place. Uh, and uh, as a church, we don't want the first thing that somebody thinks about uh, when they hear uh, our name uh, of Ambassador Bible Fellowship, or even oftentimes uh, all churches get lumped together, right? Which isn't necessarily fair. Uh, anybody who claims the name of Christian, whose name have we taken on? Christ. And so we want to be faithful ambassadors. We want to represent him well. Uh, and uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to, up to Titus, because Titus is, is very appropriate for us to look at this morning, uh, because Titus is a young pastor who's been left behind on the island of Crete, uh, right in the middle of the Mediterranean, uh, which might sound nice to be left on an island uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, right? Uh, sounds... Uh, Restful and peaceful, but uh, but Titus had a lot of work uh, that he was called to to do there. Uh, see, he had been there with the Apostle Paul, and they had established several churches on the island. And then now, uh, Paul was was writing to Titus to tell him what what he was supposed to go back and do, uh, because Paul went on to do uh, ministry elsewhere. He left Titus there uh, with kind of a to do list. And what I want to look at this morning is. 
just kind of the book of Titus in a, in a comprehensive way. We'll, we'll kind of uh, walk through it uh, little by little and, and talk through some key things there and how they, they will apply to us at Ambassador and how they apply to us uh, as individuals, that, that our, our walk will affect our witness uh, and that our uh, doctrine is inseparable from our conduct, uh, that people will understand what we believe by the way that we live. Uh, and the way that we live will oftentimes preach more loudly uh, than what we say. Uh, ever have uh, your parents or, or your teachers say, do as I say, not as I do? Right? And that's, that's not a good saying. Uh, it's kind of admitting hypocrisy, uh, but, but the reality is, hey, I'm, I'm striving to do this, and let's do this together. Uh, but let's, uh, let's begin just in, in looking at uh, this overview uh, of Titus. And, and the big theme uh, of Titus is uh, setting the church in order. Of, hey, here's the, these young churches. They need uh, an infrastructure. They need to know what to what to focus on. And uh, if you look there on your your notes of the the purpose of Paul is writing to instruct Titus, who is left by Paul on the island of Crete, to serve the churches there, how to develop order, uh, godliness, and doctrinal understanding uh, in the churches. And Paul uh, most likely, uh, or Paul definitely wrote this, but most likely wrote it from Corinth uh, in between his first and second imprisonment. Uh, and uh, kind of parallels to First uh, and Second Timothy uh, in terms of ordering uh, the church. Uh, and if you look at the, uh, just on the outline, uh, I'm a visual learner. Uh, I need to see things visually, so kind of laying it out this way actually helps me, uh, and then to pass it on uh, to you. But the three big uh, points I wanted to kind of talk through is, and what Paul uh, commanded or instructed Titus to do was, number one, guard sound doctrine with godly leadership. Secondly, to, to adorn sound doctrine with godly living. And then in chapter 3, to, to demonstrate sound doctrine with good works. So before we, before we dive in and begin to, to walk through this, uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, Lord, we, we come to you longing to know you. That's why we turn to your word, because that is how you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you, we praise you for the fellowship that we have with you through your son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. We thank you for his life, his death, his sacrifice on our behalf. And now, uh, Lord, we long to know how his life, his death impacts our life uh, and how now we are to live in light of uh, his living and his dying. Lord, we long to glorify you. We long to be faithful ambassadors uh, of you. Uh, to represent you well before a watching world, uh, and to bring you all the glory, honor, and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Something I forgot to, to mention, I should have mentioned uh, earlier, if, uh, if children need to be uh, checked in, because we weren't doing uh, music uh, today, if they need to be checked in, so third grade or below, parents, if you could check them in, uh, in the children's ministry, if they are going back there, if they're hanging with you, totally fine uh, right where they are. So, all right, well, let's, uh, let's just look into, uh, into Titus together. So let's, uh, we're going to kind of work through this outline uh, and kind of read along in Titus. So beginning in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. So Paul writing, he says, A servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time, proper time manifested in his words 
through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Paul just begins by by introducing, and then he immediately gets into what he wants uh, Titus to do, uh, which is to to appoint elders. Uh, We see this in in verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination over an overseer, as God's steward must be, or for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So what are, the, what are the big two requirements that Paul makes of anybody who's going to be uh, an elder? He says, number one, they have to be above reproach, right? Which means, hey, nobody in the outside world is able to, able to attack them. There's not hypocrisy that's visible in the world uh, where someone can attack and say, look, that's what's wrong with the church. This, this person right here, uh, you made him a leader? You made him uh, an elder? I can't believe that. We don't want anybody outside of the church being able to say that, especially of the leadership in the church. Uh, and that's why Paul makes these standards. Of Number one, they have to be above reproach. And then what's the second thing? The other uh, kind of summary statement is found in verse 9. They, they have to be able to, to teach sound doctrine. They have to, to know the truth and then be able to communicate the truth. Uh, and again, we, so this is our first introduction to what Titus uh, is, is hearing repeatedly from Paul, is that doctrine has to line up with conduct. Uh, the way that you live has to line up with what you're going to be proclaiming and teaching. Uh, and uh, that's what the, the number one requirement is of elders. Uh, of They know what to teach, uh, and then they're living it out. Uh, it, not just they know what to teach, uh, because what would that communicate if they, if they know what to teach and they can uh, kind of pontificate and teach all of these things, but then when you look at their life, uh, they're not living out any of it. What would, what would that genuinely say? Talk to me. Yeah, they, they, that they don't genuinely believe it, right? So say, for instance, uh, somebody, this is just, just an example, if someone ran into the room uh, and said the building's on fire, uh, which is not, not the case, uh, but if somebody ran in and did that and they said the building's on fire, everybody who, who genuinely believed that person, what would they do? They would immediately run and get out of the building, right? Uh, and those who didn't believe, what would they do? They would just sit. You're like, no, I don't believe it. Uh, it's demonstrated by, by their actions, their, their beliefs. But what we would take issue with is somebody who said, oh, yeah, I believe you, and just remain seated. Right? What would, what would that show? That, that there's a discrepancy regarding what this person truly believes and what they're saying. Because if they truly believe there's a fire in, on the, in the building, they're, they're going to leave. They're going to depart as soon as they can. And, and Paul says, hey, the leaders of the church have to be the ones who are teaching sound doctrine and then living out that doctrine. And then why is that important? Why is he saying appoint elders first and foremost? Well, let's look at verses 10 to 16. It says, For there are many men, or many, who are insubordinate, empty talkers, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, 
since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then verse 1 in chapter 2, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. See, the reason that, that, that godly leadership needs to be put in place is because uh, there are, there's ungodly leaders who are trying to come in and influence the church. Uh, it was true in the first century, and it's true today. There's always going to be people who want to come in and uh, bring in truth that's not based upon the Word of God, a truth that, that twists it just enough uh, that the trajectory is off. Uh, and it's going to lead God's people astray. And what, is, what does Paul say here? He speaks strongly. He says, hey, they need to be silenced. Where's the mute button on these guys? We, we, we need to, uh, to make sure they are rebuked and silenced and not influencing the church. And what's, what's his biggest issue with them? Or one of the big issues in verse 16, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. These are the men who are proclaiming one thing and living out something else. They're saying, I believe in God, but they're in their lifestyle. What are they demonstrating? That they actually deny God, and that they have no faith whatsoever. So in contrast with them, what is Titus supposed to be? He is supposed to teach sound doctrine. That's the command of verse 1 in chapter 2. Uh, and that's kind of the, the transition to that next uh, section in Titus. So he's, le- he's moving on from, from what the leadership is supposed to do to what uh, the people are supposed to do. To what, uh, and what are they supposed to do there? To adorn sound doctrine with godly living. Uh, and uh, if you think about this, if you told uh, a pastor to, to teach sound doctrine, what, where does their, our, our minds immediately go? Or if you told somebody to teach sound doctrine, you'd think of, okay, the Trinity, the, you know, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we have uh, who Jesus Christ is. He, he's fully God and fully man. And we're justified by, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, and so you think of all of these lofty theological concepts when, when Paul says to Titus, teach sound doctrine. But then how does verse 2, what does verse 2 launch into? He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He begins to speak about how the church is to conduct itself. How individuals and groups within the church are to live out their faith and how they are to act. Uh, you can think of this as doctrinally sound conduct is what he begins to, to command. Well, let's continue reading. So we, we saw what, what older men are to be. You can say they are to be examples. Uh, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So the older women are to be uh, disciplers, as we're going to see. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Uh, So older men are to be examples. Older women are to be disciplers. Younger women are to be uh, learners and lovers. You're kind of thinking of the basics of what's the first thing that that older women are, are called to teach younger women? The basics of family. How do you how do you love your kids? How do you love your husband? Verse 5, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, 
that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So we have older men who are called to be examples, older women who are called to be disciplers, younger women who are called to be uh, learners and lovers. And then, I love this, and as a young man, I need this. Uh, he just says, younger men, you need to be, need to be sensible. Come on, get, get some sense in you. Be self-controlled. Uh, kind of, I hear it in my own uh, unsanctified imagination. I always hear foghorn langhorn uh, when I read that. Of, Come on now, boy, you need some sense. Uh, and, and just that reality. You need self-control. That, that's what young men need the most. And, and that's what he calls Titus to be. Hey, you need to be an example of this uh, in your conduct. Uh, and then bond servants, uh, slaves, anybody who is in submission to one another, uh, into somebody else, and everybody who has a job is in submission to, to their boss. Uh, how are we supposed to, to work? Uh, not in a way that, that is uh, pilfering, not in a way that's stealing, but showing all good faith. Uh, and if you look at each of these categories, except for the first one of older men, there's a gospel motivation that's attached to it, uh, and a gospel motivation that is attached to their witness in the outside world. If you look at uh, at verse uh, 3 and 4, these, these older women are to be certain things, of, hey, they're be, to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so, and, kind of the, and so that they are able to train the younger women. See, see older, older ladies, are the, are the younger ladies going to want to hear from you if, if they look at your life and, and there's nothing there that they want to emulate? No. Your walk with Christ enables you to be a disciple of others. See, nobody wants to come and, hey, disciple me. Uh, I want to follow you as you follow Christ if, if, they, if your life isn't attractive to them. Uh, and so your walk, again, impacts your, your witness and your ability to disciple others. And then uh, verse 5, the, the, to the younger women, he says, that they are to be uh, lovers of husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, all of these things. At the end of verse 5, he says, that or so that the word of God may not be reviled. Because if they are, the implication is if they are not those things, the word of God will be reviled in the community, in, in the world around us. They, they will look at us and say, why would I follow that? Why would I follow the word of God? Look where it's gotten you. Uh, it will come under, uh, I guess, a judgment of the outside world if we are not living it out faithfully. And then verse 8, speaking again to, to Titus and to young men at the end, he says, so that we are to, we are to have self-control, we are to have sense, so that... An opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, which is really difficult, right? Think about that. Of if uh, the world around us had absolutely nothing bad to say because we lived so righteously in front of them, right? It's like wow, just being able to to silence critics because of our holy living. That's what that's what Paul is calling Titus uh, to instruct in the church. And then uh, bond servants at the end of verse ten, uh, su- such an amazing picture here. Uh, he says. Uh, the gospel motivation is so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And that word adorn is, is where we get our word for cosmetics. Right? What do cosmetics do? What? 
Yeah, they, they adorn, okay. Uh, they, they cover up. They make something to, to look attractive. They make it look beautiful, right? Uh, and so even though we have a, a, a foolish message, uh, or 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says uh, that the gospel is foolishness to those who are in the world, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We, we, we proclaim a foolish message, but we can make that message attractive, uh, we can make it look good. We can put cosmetics on that foolish message so that people say, hey, what's different about you? I, I want I what you have. Uh, when we live out the gospel faithfully and, and righteously, the world, even though they, we proclaim a foolish message, they want to hear that message because they see the impact that it's had upon our lives. Uh, so he, he lays out all of that is the, the, the doctrinally sound conduct. And then he says why they are to do that. In verses 11 and 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Why are we to, to live in a way that our, that our walk and our witness line up? Well, because that's exactly what Christ came to do. He came to, to save us and sanctify us. Uh, and that cost him dearly. He had to give his own life to sanctify a people for himself. That, that's what he did. And the reality is, uh, if we lose sight of verses 11 to 14, verses 2 through 10 can be overwhelming, right? Now, how many of you guys are, are overwhelmed with the thought of having to live perfectly in front of the eyes of the world? That's overwhelming to me. That's like, I have no hope. Let me just throw in the towel uh, right now. Uh, but, but I would say w- one of the things that we, that, that really, if we, we really want to make a life that's attractive to the world, we need to be open about our failures. Not, it, this isn't saying try and be perfect in the eyes of the world. Uh, this is saying that, hey, if you do sin, and guess what? You are going to sin in front of your neighbors or, or in, in front of your coworkers or in front of your boss. You're going to sin. What should we do in that moment when we do sin? Conf- confess it uh, to the Lord and to the person that we've sinned against and who, who is experiencing some of those consequences. We need to, to confess it and go and, and ask for forgiveness. And, and usually that's shocking. Uh, you know, when, when, when you go and, and try and reconcile with a coworker that you sinned against or a, a boss of, hey, you know what, I, I really messed up uh, on this. Uh, th- this. This reality of uh, coming and confessing and asking for forgiveness, that's unnatural to, to, to human beings. Uh, that's something that we can only do uh, by grace through faith, and we demonstrate the gospel as we do that. So this isn't saying, uh, you know, you have to be perfect. It's saying, hey, when, when you sin, go and confess it. Make things right. And that puts the gospel on display. That, that is what we are called to do because that's what Christ saved us to do, to be a people who are wholly zealous for good works. And then at the end of this section, uh, just like he did in the previous section, Paul gives Tim, Titus a charge. He says, declare these things, which, which also makes it not optional for me. Uh, as, as, a, as a pastor, as a preacher, I have to declare the truth of God. He says, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Uh, th- this is doctrinally sound conduct that has to characterize the church. 
And then in chapter 3, he, he goes on of, okay, so what does it look like to also demonstrate sound doctrine with godly works? He says, remind them, meaning everybody in the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Again, that, that's a lofty, lofty command. And, and what's to motivate that command? Well, we see that in verses 3 through 7, that, that God's merciful salvation and adoption of us while we were sinners, while we were unbelievers in the world, God saved us. That is to motivate us to, to relate rightly to other people. Uh, why should we not be harsh with people in the world? Well, because we used to be right in their shoes, and now we want them to come uh, to know the God who has saved us. Let's look at verses 3 through 7. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And again, this, this passage also helps to frame our, our thinking. We're supposed to be devoted to good works. We're supposed to, to have an emphasis upon that and be living a righteous life in front of the world. But does that save us? No. Uh, that, that's not what saves us. It, it's not all of these things that we're, we're doing to, to bring about a right standing with God. No, it says, it says what? We earned God's favor? No, it says he saved us. Not according to what we've done, not, not according to our, our deeds or works of righteousness, but by his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, by, by the Spirit working in our hearts, uh, taking uh, our heart and, and making it new so that we now have a desire to love God, to obey Him, and to do good works and to live righteously in this age. That, that's, that's a work of God in our hearts transforming us. And that's what motivates us then to live righteously in front of others and to treat others as is described in verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 8 through 11, uh, Paul says... Uh, again, he gives Timothy or Titus a charge. Uh, he says, insist on these things. He says, the, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So Paul is saying, hey, this is what you need to focus on. This is what you need to insist upon, that, that there needs to be that connection, that, that alignment between uh, sound doctrine and good works. And if somebody begins to be divisive about that with you or to get derailed, don't, don't play games with him. He says, hey, warn him once and then send him on his way. Uh, this is of the utmost importance, and it's not, uh, it should not be debated about it concerning, hey, what the church is to, to focus on. Because it's really easy to be sidelined by foolish controversies and genealogies and, and dissensions and quarrels about the law. And, and a lot of churches get derailed on those things. Uh, 
uh, of the, the, the minutia uh, of uh, certain things in the Bible rather than in the gospel itself and, and living out the gospel in front of others, their walk and their witness. Uh, and then verses uh, 12 to 15, there's a little bit of an epilogue of Paul kind of closing out the letter. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, uh, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let your people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And so that's Paul's letter to, letter to Titus. Uh, if, if you have your, that note, so once you look down at the bottom of the page, just look at the key concepts, uh, things to take away, and things that we want to, to be living out here at Ambassador uh, and as individuals who are following Christ. So we see, hey, qualified elders in a local church are intended to guard the gospel and protect the church from the influence of false teachers and teaching. And that's important because the world is always trying to influence you. Right? Always, constantly. Uh, and we have to, uh, to stand together, and we need godly men who know the word, who can uh, identify false teaching, uh, who can identify uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, and say, hey, don't follow that guy. Uh, don't follow that teacher. Uh, here's the truth. We need to pursue that. That's the, that's the, the security blanket within the church, is the, the godly leadership. Then secondly, sound doctrine is inseparable from righteous conduct. You will not have one without the other. Uh, they are inseparable. Third, your, your gospel witness can be tainted by your gospel disobedience. So evangelism fuels spiritual growth and vice versa, and disobedience becomes an obstacle to evangelism, right? Have you, have you ever felt that, uh, that you couldn't share the gospel with a neighbor or a, a co-worker because they're like, well, what are they going to say? How many of you ever ever felt that way? As soon as I say something, they're going to throw my sin immediately back in my face. Any, anybody felt that way? Uh, that silenced me at times. Or if uh, you know of a sin that's separating you from the Lord, do you feel like going and sharing the gospel with others? No. You, your your own disobedience can be become an obstacle to sharing the gospel with others because you're you're immediately thinking, well, what are they going to say? What are they going to think about me? But if we are going out and sharing the gospel, what does that motivate us to do? To, to live righteously so that there's nobody, so the people that we're sharing with can't immediately tear us down. Uh, we, we want to, uh, it encourages us to study because uh, we, we want to ha- be able to answer that question when somebody asks it. Uh, we want to be prepared so our gospel witness depends upon our evangelism and our evangelism depends upon our life. That fourth uh, bullet point there, the gospel itself is a foolish message, but we can make that message attractive by the way that we live. And we need to keep it, uh, that in mind, and we can also make it unattractive by the way that we live. And the believers are instructed to pursue good works. Five times in, in Titus he mentions that. Do you think that's kind of an emphasis, to pursue good works? And that's contrasted with the false teachers who says they're, they're not good for any good work. They are unfit. And then that last bullet point of good works are not performed for our salvation, but rather as a thankful response to what God has done in our lives. Good works are the fruit, not the root of salvation. 
uh, which then leads us to praise God for what he's done in our lives.